If you have a Bible with you, please open that up to Luke 18, verses 18 to 30. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Um, today I want to bring to you a message. I've been preaching through the Gospel of Luke at Hunt, and so uh, today this message was already on my schedule six months ago, and it, I believe it fits in uh, well with the concept of evangelism and outreach in our community. And so I would like to share with you a message on salvation in God. Uh, Pastor Matt has read to you the passage of Scripture, and I want to point out to you that uh, you've been given a, a handout, and almost everything that's on the screen will be on the handout, so you don't have to, if you're one of those uh, compulsive people, really race to take notes, you can just fill in gaps then on that uh, piece of paper you've been given. Uh, in each of my messages, I give kind of a thesis statement, one would call it, but I call it living the word. As Jesus continues his self-revelation to the disciples and to all the people, he demonstrates his compassion toward those who have come to realize they are in need of a physician and that the physician is Jesus Christ himself. Now, uh, Pastor Matt read to you through verse 30, and I'm actually going to take us through the end of the chapter, but beginning, I want to give us some context, beginning in the earlier portion of Luke chapter 18. We begin with uh, Jesus telling a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And we're going to see this again in this rich ruler of which Matt read to us. Then in uh, verse 14, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. We're going to see a bit of humiliation on the part of this rich ruler, but we're going to see even more humiliation in the blind beggar at the end of the chapter. 
Right before this, Jesus teaches us that we are to receive the kingdom of God like a child. Now I give you this context because as we walk into this passage beginning at verse 18, you've had the disciples rebuking people who are bringing their children to Jesus and they're pushing these children away, but Jesus says, no, let the children come unto me. Interestingly, this applies in our context at uh, motorcycle events because we've made an agreement within our chapter that when you see someone witnessing to another person, you might come by, but don't interfere. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak. Well, with this rich ruler, we have someone who walks up and interferes with Jesus blessing the children. Someone who thought that he was important. And so we're going to see a few more living parables in these two more people that we'll look at. First of all, I want to look at this, what I call a convoluted conversation between this rich ruler who comes and interrupts Jesus' blessing children. And the conversation, if you read it, we are all familiar with this passage, but it's sometimes bad to become too familiar with a passage. Because when we become too familiar with a passage, we misread it sometimes. And so I've been wrestling with this passage for a few weeks now. And uh, yesterday, as you can see, I pulled all of my hair out trying to figure out where to go with this passage. We have Jesus approached by this rich ruler and he speaks to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, in verse 18, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus doesn't answer the question. As a matter of fact, I don't truly believe Jesus ever answers the question. And I'll get to why in a moment. But what he does do is starts out with, why do you call me good? Why are you approaching me and calling me a good teacher? Because no one is good except God alone. This young man approaches Jesus thinking he's one thing and Jesus exposes his divinity to the rich young man. And the rich young man, as we'll see as we work our way through here, doesn't ever get it. This is why when we reach people, oftentimes as we're motorcycling, and, and I was on a dice run one time. A dice run is that uh, you start out with a scorecard, it's blank, you ride to a location, they, you shake up a bowl of dice, you put it down, they write down the number that shows up of the five or six or however many dice that are there, and then you ride to another bar where you do this again and they write down the number, and by the time you get to the end, you've paid to get in, there's a prize for the person with the highest score at the end. Now what we do is strategically oftentimes identify someone that we've somehow struck a conversation with and we try to uh, connect to them during the ride. We try to keep it going. Jesus is connecting to this man and trying to keep it going and oftentimes we don't see the results by the end of a six-stop ride because on a six-stop ride oftentimes that's 12 drinks. And we're not able to connect to that person. But you know the next ride we go on, they remember us, they come up to us, they talk to us. And so it's possible that this young man, this rich ruler, will somehow come across someone else. And Jesus isn't urgent 
immediate about this man's salvation, but he's still telling him about the gift of salvation. Now, going on with this conversation, though, the man asks this question, what must I do to inherit? Now, let's just think on this question for a moment. I'm guessing there's some people in our, in our room here today who have received an inheritance. What did you do to receive the inheritance? Um, I know I'm not supposed to use this word in certain contexts, but this is what we would call a stupid question. Now, I'm told there are no such thing as stupid questions, but this one seems it. What would I do to inherit? Well, I was born, but did I do that? No. That's an act of God as a consequence of my parents. What did I do to inherit? And so this young man, this rich man is going, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, Jesus doesn't answer the question, I don't think. Now, he does respond to the question, but doesn't answer the question. Because the question has no answer. The other piece of this is that it's somewhat connected to the idea that this inheritance is what what has made him wealthy already. And so he believes that based on what's happened to me in the rest of my life, Maybe I can do something and inherit now everlasting life. Even though he probably doesn't even have the concept of what that means. And that's a reality of our culture more and more today. Few people grasp the reality of life after death, let alone it being everlasting life after death. We meet more and more, more, and more people day after day who don't even have a concept of God, let alone life after. And if they do have a concept of life after, oftentimes it's disconnected from God. And so we're looking at this man and he's saying, what must I do? So Jesus just simply goes back to the Ten Commandments, perceiving this man was likely Jewish, gives him some of the commandments, and uh, four of them are don'ts and one of them is a do. Now, the last one to do, honor your father and mother. By walking around with his wealth, which I'm presuming is probably from his inheritance, or would become his inheritance eventually, Jesus gives him, honor your father and mother. I think Jesus is kind of needling him a little bit about who the real father is that he ought to be honoring. Because when we as children honor our parents, we are, in essence, honoring the Lord. And Jesus is just conveying to him, honor your father and mother. And so the young man, I assume it's a young man, we we refer to him oftentimes as the rich young ruler, I'm guessing from the other uh, parallel passages in the, the synoptics. He replies, I have done these. Now, I look at these, and, and there's other contexts where Jesus says that even when you look on a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. If you hate your brother, you've committed murder. Um, anyone who says they've not lied, just lied. So, 
in the context of this, this man is being quite arrogant about his self-perception. That's why I call it a righteous self-exaltation that he's been having here. And so as he perceives that he has done these things, it appears that maybe even some people in the crowd might even agree with him that he's done these things. Jesus comes back with this phrase. He says, Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. What Jesus is identifying is that this man is lacking, lacking. Welcome to America, right? We as Americans lack the concept of lacking. We have too much. This man has much. That's why in a moment we're going to say he's going to go away sad. Now, I'm not trying to guilt our material blessings that we have here in America, but one of the problems with our material blessings we have here in America is that they become idols. And this is something else we see in the motorcycle ministry. Now, there's, I think, five bikes parked out here. I want to encourage you, don't touch them. Okay? Uh, one day I went, I rode my bike to a, a pastor's event. My bike parked my bike out in the parking lot of this place. And I was dressed kind of like this. And I went in and I had dinner with a couple friends. I come out and the red hat ladies happened to be in the same restaurant with us. Now the red hat ladies, as I approached my bike, says, oh, is this your bike? I said, yes. And they said, well, thank you. Uh, I sat on it and had my picture taken. Now, they're actually blessed because I'm okay with that. In the motorcycle community, Jeff, what happens if you do that to a non-Christian biker? You get bruised. Yeah, talk about a church crash, right? Um, It's not a good thing when you sit on a biker's bike without even being invited near it. As a matter of fact, when we do bike blessings, we ask if we're even allowed to put our hand on the bike before we pray a blessing for that biker. Bikers are territorial and, and very focused on their bike. Uh, sadly, they're, they're similar about their spouse or a girlfriend or connected female. And we have to be very, very careful about that when we minister. So, Be careful about the bikes that are out there. And it's not that we're being idolatrous about our bikes, but I'm just trying to help you that when you meet another biker that you could minister in an appropriate way by don't touch their bike. Men, don't talk to their wives unless you're invited to talk to their wife or girlfriend that's with them. These are two boundaries that we've learned ministering to motorcyclists. That we have to accept their culture and we try to join in their culture reasonably, but not be their culture. Now I say all of that because people have idols. And in America, we lack lacking. This wealthy man lacked the concept of lacking. Now, what does the concept of lacking do for us? When we realize what we don't have, it opens us up to what we need. 
And so in this, we see this rich man needs the Gospel. He's actually asking about, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, here's your problem. You're focused on the things of earth. You're not focused on the things of the kingdom of God. And so your problem is that you lack lacking. Once he got it, and I think we need to get that as American citizens, we have so much more. The poorest in the United States of America are wealthier than the wealthiest of the majority world. Let me repeat that. The poorest of the poor in the United States of America are wealthier than the wealthiest of the, of the other parts of the world. We don't understand that here because we don't cross cultures well. Pastor Dave and I don't cross the culture of Canada and the United States. We, we have a little... I badger with him, and you know him. He's too gracious to badger back at me. But it, it's just a very different culture. And this man doesn't grasp what it is to be in need. We as American citizens and Christians in America need to understand, we need to understand what we lack. And what we lack is a spiritual life because we're inundated in our material lives. When this man came to some sense of what was going on, he was, uh, the phrase is here, it says he was very sad. There's another translation of this, that he was surrounded by sorrow. And every one of us hits this point at, at, at different times in our lives where we're surrounded by sorrow of Wow, I, I had never thought of things this way and we come to a depth within ourselves. We, even as born again, somewhat well off, or very well off, or just a little well off American citizens, need to be surrounded by sorrow now and then about the lost in the world. That song that was playing with the video uh, falls into that. People need the Lord. And remember, the Gospel's not just for them. The Gospel's for us too. We need Jesus. We need more of Jesus every moment of our life. And Jesus is attempting to expose that reality to this rich, young, this rich man. So Jesus then starts to help this man cope, but this doesn't sound like a very supportive thing. As I go on, this is just... Jesus is compassionate toward this man. He says in verse 24, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for Pam's camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, that's an impossibility. Needle, camel, it doesn't happen, right? And camel's hair is sometimes so thick it's hard to... Thread some needles, right? Jesus is using hyperbole here. He's not saying wealthy people can't be saved. What he's saying is, if your God is wealth, you've got to let go of your God. And you know, as we're watching politically what's happening in the United States of America, many of us are watching our wealth be passed on to the next generation and the wealth will be gone through inflation very quickly, we're all grieving that reality. 
Some people I've met are just completely surrounded by sorrow about this reality. And Jesus has compassion, but look how He responds to it. He's saying, look how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. I am distressed about the economic nature of the United States of America today. But that distress does not overcome the joy I have of being saved by Jesus Christ. We need to have that attitude within ourselves. We need to realize horrible times may be coming. But Jesus Christ is still on the throne. And so as we continue to look at Jesus, He's saying that He has compassion for us, He has compassion for the sorrow, but He's diagnosing our problem. Our problem is we're too used to the way things were. And the Lord tells us they won't stay that way. There will be trial and there will be tribulation. We're just getting a little hint of it here in the United States of America. But Jesus is still on the throne. The diagnosis of the problem isn't the wealth. The diagnosis of the problem isn't socialism that's being shoved down our throats. The diagnosis of the problem is we're depending on our G-O-V instead of our G-O-D. And Jesus is saying this man was depending on his wealth. Not on his faith in a God who loves him. We are owned by what we think we own. And this is very evident with many bikers. You saw the one bike at the, near the end. It had a, a, a gas tank painted with a skull. It was kind of gory looking. It's one of the things in, in motorcycle communities. There's a lot of skulls. But that paint job on that tank for that bike, that was probably a $40,000 bike. Maybe more. And uh, my wife can tell you, I spend a lot of time cleaning my bike. I try to keep it shiny. Riding it here today was very distressing to me because there was road splatter coming up on my chrome. And so when I get home over the next couple of days, I'm going to have to spend about 45 minutes polishing that chrome. I'm owned by what I own, right? Am I stepping on any toes yet? I'm trying to, okay? Are you owned by what you own? Because Jesus is saying to this man, you're owned by what you own. And so as as I share this and I I look at this statement that's made that the wealth keeps us from the kingdom, there's some people there who come along and and, and ask this question. Um, Verse 26, Who then can be saved? And, and so the poor people are saying, well, that, he, he didn't count me. But he did. Because all of us have wealth. In some way, shape, or form, every person has wealth. Even when you meet homeless people, they will have their shopping cart or their, their uh, plastic bag or whatever means, a backpack, to carry whatever wealth they have with them. Some of them even rent storage lockers somewhere or something like that that... They are homeless, but they realize there's a few things that I want to make sure are safe and keeping. And so the reality of the question, who then can be saved, is is placed toward us. We all have something 
that we focus on more than we focus on the Gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ Himself. And Jesus is trying to correct our hearts. And He's saying to this man, only God will refocus your desires. Now, the next portion of this, we have our wonderful guy Peter. Um, and, and we look at Peter, and there's so many great, admirable things about Peter. I appreciate Peter because he's always the one to speak out boldly. Now, sadly, sometimes when we speak out boldly, we speak out foolishly. Uh, I'm known to do that. Pastor Dave will say amen to that. He's heard me do it a few times in meetings that we've been in. Peter speaks out with an attitude of true repentance, I believe. And he says, see, we've left our homes and followed you. We, we gave it up. We gave up what we had. We're following you, Jesus. The fact that you're sitting in this room listening to this message is kind of the context of that, that you're all saying, we've given up the things of earth and, and Jesus is the focal point of who we want to follow in our lives today. It made me think of the hymn, I Surrender All. I don't know if you've seen the list of hymns that, if, the hymns that say um, if we sang them as they were really true, instead of us singing I Surrender All, we, uh, we would uh, paraphrase it, I Surrender Some. Is that you? Is that me? Yes, that's us. I Surrender Some, but I, I haven't surrendered. Peter's trying to say that he has surrendered all. And Jesus says, when we surrender, it ought to be for the sake of the kingdom. It ought to be for the sake of the kingdom. We all give up. We all surrender certain things to gain some benefit somewhere else. I'm going to come back around to this probably in a few minutes, but we need to be careful about what is it that we're surrendering and for what sake are we surrendering it. But Jesus places a blessing on the statement, for the sake of the kingdom of God, you will receive an abundant and eternal life. I tell you that there's no one who's left his house or wife or brothers or parents for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And so in this righteous self-exaltation, you have Peter's showing a, a sense of repentance. Okay, I don't want to be like that wealthy man, and, and I'm not because you told him to give up everything and give it to the poor and follow you. I've done that, Jesus. I've done that, Jesus. But yet in, it, in our human nature, sometimes we'll come back and make that self-exalting about, about us instead of giving credit for our salvation where it belongs, on the Lord Jesus Christ who saves Thus the title, Salvation in God. So Jesus points out to Peter in this next passage, this is what it's going to cost you. In verse 31, And taking the twelve, He said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For He will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging Him, they will kill Him. Good news, and on the third day, He will rise. Verse 34, But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. 
Jesus is saying, look at both these circumstances of self-exaltation. We, we have the ruler and we have Peter. Peter's being a, little, a, a much more muted self-exaltation. And Jesus says, but there will be salvation. This is what God will do to make salvation possible. It's as if God is saying to us, Jesus is saying to us, this is what I will do to save you. I will be delivered over to the Gentiles. I will be mocked. I will be shamefully treated. I will be spit upon. I will be flogged. I will be killed. That's the price that will be paid. That's what He will do that we might inherit eternal life. And then the good news, on the third day, He will rise. He will rise. And on this side of the cross, the news is all the better because we know He is risen. Our Savior is risen. He took the punishment that the wealthy man deserved. The wealthy ruler. He took the punishment that Peter deserved. He took the punishment we deserve. We are no longer dead in our trespasses and sins. We have been made alive in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Jesus is giving them the future picture of this is what I will do in not too many days from the point that this is written. He will do it. The hard thing is this saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. But when you read even the resurrection... Because this isn't the first and only prediction of Jesus talking about His crucifixion and His resurrection. When the women went to the tomb, the angel says to the women, it's just like Jesus told you back in Galilee. It's happened. It's good news. Rejoice in this good news. Jesus will take care of it. You don't have to be owned by the things that own you. We don't have to hold on to the things of this earth so tightly. Instead, we need to hold on to the One who provided our salvation for us, Jesus Christ Himself. And Jesus then departs from that place, breaking their slavery in the both there and, that, and, and the not yet. Because that's the reality for all of us. Jesus has broken the chains of our bondage into both here and now, but in the not yet as well. Our bondage has been broken from this world. We just have to actually live it. We have to let it be that God has broken those chains of bondage to the things that we allow to own us and the things that we hold on to so tightly whether it be material or even our relationships that we'll hold on more tightly than we ought to hold on to. Because they're not ours. They're His. They're completely His. I want to jump back to what Jesus said to this rich ruler. Because there's a phrase in there. When they ask the question, who can be saved? Jesus replies, what is impossible with man is possible with God. I waited to tell you this now and remind you of this statement now because so often that phrase is misused. 
It's misused by the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel promoters. It's even misused by each of us when there's something we really want. I just know i got to have it. I'll say, but what's impossible with man is possible with God. And the reason I waited until now to tell you this, it's because that phrase has nothing to do with material. That phrase is meaningless about the things of earth. That phrase is 100% absolutely a response to the question, then who can be saved? Jesus turns around and tells them He will save what's impossible with man to inherit eternal life is possible only with God that we would inherit eternal life. That's how Jesus breaks our slavery. He does it, not me. I've struggled with that old-time hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. Have I? Or is it that Jesus has decided to bring a wretched like me, man like me along with Him? That's the truth. The truth is, my decision to follow Jesus reminds me of oftentimes, when I was growing up, my neighbors did, had some work done and and they paid this man to do some work for them, and they paid him in a sheep. Now, the man who did the work was uh, uh, what just blatantly we need to call, he's cheap. Okay, and he wanted to be paid. Our neighbors had a sheep that they decided, okay, we'll surrender the sheep to this man as payment for the work he did. And they lived on this side of me, and the man who did the work lived on that side of me, up this hill. The man drives his Volkswagen, and he had a Volkswagen Beetle. He would literally turn off the engine and coast from his house, which was about a mile drive to our neighbor's house, because he wasn't going to spend gasoline. Uh, Jim Wilkins comes to mind on this one. Um, <laughs> just He coasts down there to get the sheep. He takes baler twine, wraps some baler twine around the sheep's neck, wraps the other end of the baler twine to the back bumper of his Volkswagen Beetle, and starts to drive up the road past our house. Are you getting an image yet? Have you all, you all, if any of you have interacted with sheep, this is the image of the sheep. I ain't going with you. In our sin, that's our relationship with Jesus Christ. I ain't going with Him on my own. He has to change my heart for me to go with Him. The sheep's heart was never changed. It was a disastrous scene and it took a really long time to take that mile trip back. That's every one of us until Christ gets a hold of our heart. It's a disastrous scene. What's impossible with man is possible with God. What's impossible with man is that we won't change our heart. We need Him to change our heart. And Jesus is conveying that to the disciples. And so Jesus says, let's go find somebody else to minister to. And He takes off in verse 35 as He drew near to Jericho. A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, this isn't happenstance. There's no happenstance with Jesus and, and, and the way Luke tells us these things. Jesus is on His way to meet a blind beggar on the road to Jericho. It's intentional. Jesus is on His way. It wasn't that Jesus is walking along and all of a sudden, oh, look what's there. 
Our friend Don Sunshine does a, a ministry and, and he calls these God appointments. They're God appointments. The, the blind beggar had an appointment with Jesus Christ, so Jesus says, I've got to get to that appointment. I mean, did you ever think about when Jesus sends the disciples into the city to, uh, and to find the guy with the water pot on his head to go prepare the upper room? Do you think Jesus wasn't being omniscient at the moment and saying it'll be that way? Jesus in His omniscience says, I'm going to go find this blind uh, beggar by the roadside on the way to, to Jericho. Jesus says, this is how people get saved. And He goes, and, and Jesus walks along as if, right? Uh, I don't know about this guy. The guy hears the clamoring, the, the man hears the clamoring, says, what's going on? I can't see, tell me what's happening. And like, Well, Jesus is coming by. And what does the man yell out? He yells out, Lord, have mercy on me. He knew he had a need. Those who know they are in need pray for mercy. Jesus knew there was a man there in need and Jesus knew that this man would pray for mercy because Jesus knew that this man had an understanding of Jesus' nature. How he had it? God revealed Himself. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. I, I, I preached a passage from 17, chapter 17 last week, and that that needs to be one of our primary prayers. It needs to be more often a primary prayer of ours. Jesus, Son of God, Son of David, have mercy on me. Just like the children, they're rebuking this man. Oh, be quiet. Be quiet. When we go out and we meet motorcycling community people, bikers, when we meet bikers, we need to have our hearts open that God might have sent us to talk to this person for a divine appointment, a God-ordained circumstance for us to share that Gospel with this man. Just like Jesus had a divine appointment with this blind beggar, we have divine appointments with bikers. And sometimes it's, I'm at this gas pump and that biker's at that gas pump and all that I can do is reach in my saddlebag and grab a tract and that's the only interaction I might have with this person. But what's funny is sometimes they'll come to our chapter meetings and say, some guy gave me a tract at a, at a gas station. Or I saw you guys at this bike event. Or I saw you there. And... Uh, Carrie shared that there's something we have to do to earn this patch, and it is that we have to profess faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But it's not that simple. We actually go through an almost eight-hour training manual with a test to make sure that we understand what the ministry is about and that we clearly grasp and can communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ before we can put this patch on our back. And so when people come in, they'll ask about, can I be a member? And I've had people do this at Hunt Baptist Church. They'll come in and they'll be there once or twice and they'll say, can I be a member? And one of my first things I do is hand them an application which says, describe your conversion experience and tell me the circumstances of your baptism. Boy, does that open a lot of questions, doesn't it? And that's where we need to be. And Jesus comes to this guy and he has his heart prepared. His heart is prepared because he's praying to Jesus for mercy. 
This phrase, Jesus uh, stopped and commanded, he brought him, they came near, verse 41. Uh, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. He, saw, he said, Lord, look at these first two words, let me, passive, let me recover my sight. Let me, not give me, not please restore, not please give me, let me recover my sight. Lord Jesus, you are sovereign over everything, including my blindness. Remember the other blind man? Why was this man blind from birth? That God might be glorified. Let me glorify you, Lord Jesus, by returning my sight. And it happened. It happened. This man placed his faith in Jesus who can. He just laid it on Jesus. Let me, let, let me, Lord Jesus, you have the strength. Let me have my sight. And immediately, verse 43, he recovered his sight and followed him. Glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. You know the statement, back to the statement, with God, it's with God that things are possible, that nothing is impossible. It was only with God that this man was going to get his sight back. But when God makes it possible, removes the impossible, the only response that true believers will have is that they will glorify God and praise Him. And we see it. You saw some of the pictures of, of, of the, our group praying around non-believers, praying over non-believers. And non-believers have come to salvation. And that's just our ministry, which we talked about. That's only 40% of our offerings. We, we keep for our own ministry. And then we talked about how much other people come to salvation through the, the three other ministries we support. The Jesus Film, Missionary Adventures, and uh, Open Door. People are coming to salvation. Because Jesus opens the doors. Jesus gives us here divine appointments and there through those ministries opportunities to reach other people. One of the great things I heard, and I, I can't confirm this for you, but I love the idea of it, is that through um, a missionary venture, they actually would, they bought a quad with a trailer. And on the trailer they put the projector and the screen for the Jesus film. And they dragged the Jesus film on a quad out into a third world village and set up the screen, turned on a generator and projected the Jesus film and people were saved. They're working together. These are beautiful pictures of the mission and the ministry because of God sending people this way and we get to participate in that. We participate in it by raising funds for the Run for the Sun. You participated in your own missions and ministries right here in your own church. I was thinking when I was dressed this way, you know, I normally wear a, a jacket, a colorful shirt, and a colorful tie. And I'm wearing this today, and I was realizing, you know, Dan uh, Morissette, Daniel, came to uh, a, a ministry that we had going on in Hunt, and he was dressed in the uniform of how he ministers in Chad and in the Sudan. 
And I came in the way we minister. We're dressed, this is the way we minister. This is how we dress. We go forth with the Gospel looking for divine appointments. And sometimes the way we're dressed sets up a divine appointment. Because if I was wearing my colorful shirt and tie and jacket, a biker will look at me and turn away. If I'm dressed like this, a biker will look at me and actually have a conversation. And you have to have a conversation to share the Gospel, right? So understand that. that where are you ministering? Well, go in and, and minister in that way. But in it, glorify God and give praise to God. And it doesn't just say that this man glorified God and gave praise to God. It says, all the people. All the people. So when you hear about us again, when you see us somewhere, greet us and give praise and glory to God because we're able to go and minister with, in places that maybe you're not able to. Or you can go out and get a bike and a vest and join us. You're all welcome. You're all welcome. So salvation in God starts when we're rebellious in our righteous self-exaltation. But God shows us His way of salvation and then because of His work in our lives, we approach Him with humble yet bold childlike faith. As Jesus continues His self-revelation to the disciples and to all the people, He demonstrates His compassion toward those who have come to realize they are in need of a physician and that the physician is Jesus Christ Himself.